Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Laura Bell Main. Laura specializes in securing some of Australia and New Zealand's fastest growing organizations. She has over 20 years of experience in software development and information security. It's her mission and passion to bring security into organizations of every shape and size. Laura is the founder and CEO of SafeStack Academy, an online education platform offering flexible, high quality and people focused secure development training for fast moving companies with a focus on building security skills, practices and culture across the entire engineering team. SafeStack is a values-driven company on a mission to make cybersecurity accessible to everyone and any organization. Welcome to the show, Laura. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. This should be a great chat. Yes. And so, Laura, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. I'd love to say I had one of those pathways that was, you know, I had a plan and I executed. (laughs) I really didn't. Um, When I was 16, I found myself in need of a job very quickly because, you know, people got sick and things. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky in my hometown. Um, I grew up in a place that's famous for car theft. We're not a very glamorous place at all. (laughs) But there happened to be this big company, which at the time was called EDS. It's now called HP. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had an apprentice program. So age 16, I went and became an apprentice software developer. And so I kind of, I thought I was going to get into languages and law and all those things you dream about when you're a high schooler, um, ended up in software and I haven't looked back since. That's great. Wow. Just an accidental journey, as you may put it, but still a very, very good one. Uh, Absolutely. And it's, I've been really uh, privileged in this, you know, I've kind of taken a lot of opportunities and kind of jumped into things. So I've been able to travel around the world a little bit. Um, do everything from counterterrorism to uh, working for CERN in Geneva, doing the Large Hadron Collider. And so there's been lots and lots of um, incredible adventures in that, just because I've kind of taken a bit of a chance and said, hey, well, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, that's great. Now you're into cybersecurity. Tell us how you got into that. Sure, absolutely. So um, one of my first jobs outside of my apprenticeship was with the UK government. And I was writing Java software, which it was not particularly exciting, but it paid the bills. And I found I had a natural knack, a tendency for being able to find bugs in other people's code. And my boss thought that was cute for a little while. And then he said, hey, Laura, this this is nice and all, but could you stop? Or, Or could you go and work with the security team, please? I was like, who are they? And he was like, well, they find bugs all day long. So they're, they're totally your people. You should go and work with them. So off I went to the literal basement um, and <laughs> I started becoming what was a penetration tester. So essentially somebody who is uh, paid professionally to find the bugs that an attacker might find before mm. the attacker finds them. Very cool. Wow. At least he saw that potential and sent you down there and said, hey, this is a better position uh, absolutely. for you. <laughs> That's Absolutely. great. Could have been much worse. Could have ended up with like a little <laughs> slip of paper and told to find a new job. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of serendipity in my career. I'm very grateful for it. That's great. That's great. So would you share with our listeners the importance of securing all organizations from smallest to largest? Why is that so Absolutely. important? Absolutely. So 
I'd love for you to think about the organization you work with right now. Now, most of the time, we, when we're focusing on security, we focus on the systems we use every day or the systems we build. Um, and, you know, that's perfectly natural. That's the part you are closest to all the time. But in reality, our organizations don't just use those systems. They use all sorts of things. So if you're writing code, you build your code out of other people's code. It's kind of like using some form of Lego. Um, in the wider organization, your company probably uses dozens of pieces of software written by other organizations. Some of them are really big companies you'll have heard of, and some of them are very tiny niche companies that, you know, you'd only know what they did if you went looking. And the reality with attack is our attackers are objective focused, so that they're, they're really focused on meeting their motivation in the world, whether that's making money or political gain or just because they don't like the shirt you wear. Mm. And it doesn't matter to them what technology uh, they're attacking as long as they can get to that objective. So they will look at our organizations, not just the code we build and write or the software we choose, the big name stuff. They will find any pathway into an organization. And so it's important when we protect ourselves that we're not just looking at the things that we directly control, but the things that we use and rely on that other people control. In a way, we're, you know, we're an ecosystem, we're a connected community. And when one of us is vulnerable, all of us inherit that vulnerability as a result. So part of my company's mission is to help companies ranging from two-person nonprofits out of New York all the way through to large-scale international banks do security in a way that doesn't get in the way because that way we're all a bit more secure because of those relationships. That's great. Wow. That's nice that we have somebody like you and your company to help businesses, you know, change and be more secure, which is really, really important because you don't want to find out when you get a ransomware uh, notice because that's pretty expensive. And, Absolutely. you know, when you said that they have a lot their own agenda that they are following, I did read somewhere, this was a while ago, that, you know, they're running their company like a business. Oh, absolutely. And it's all a negative business, but it's still a business. So they're always looking for more revenue. How do we, you know, get to those people that we can't get to? How do we hack into their systems? All of that. And that's a bit scary. Exactly. And, you know, I think when I first realized much earlier in my career that, you know, the people who are attacking us, you know, those we call the hackers, if you will, mm -hmm. um, are a business model of their own. I found it quite uncomfortable to start with mm -hmm. because I was like, well, hey, what do you mean that this is a profit making business and that they're using the same tools that we do? They organize their world in the same way we do, mm -hmm. but they just don't share our moral code. But I think once you realize that, it actually becomes less personal. So it's less an, it's not an emotional thing anymore. Hey, somebody is attacking me. It's, it's you know, you understand, oh, okay, right. So their business model is, is aggressive and it doesn't meet my moral code and I need to stop it, but it's not personal. It's right. not about me and mine. It's about something they're trying to achieve. And so I'm able to then take a step back and say, hey, right, there's things I can do to prevent this then. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. Where are we today and what are the areas we need to focus on? So my specialization is software security. So I work with organizations who typically either build software to use themselves internally or they buy software from other companies to use. Now, in my world, we're 
at the very beginning of software security as a whole, only 2% of organizations at this point really know what they're doing when it comes to keeping their software safe. And that's quite sobering when you think about how many companies are building software. In Australia, New Zealand, just for example, we have 789,000 businesses who build or write software. Now, I can't imagine the scale of the US, but I would love in your audience, if there's someone who has those stats, to find out how many companies are actually building software if only 2% have got their stuff together and have got a plan. That means the rest of us, we're really trying to understand, well, how does this affect us? And how do we do this when we already have so much to do in our day? So, you know, we're busy people. We're, we, you know, we're trying to build good stuff. We're trying to operate our businesses and grow. We're trying to, you know, do whatever our mission is in the world. So in my world, the things that are going well, are, you know, we're just starting out, but there's lots of opportunity. Um, there's lots of things you can do. Even if you just spent one hour every two weeks on security, if you imagine that by every single software developer out there, so there's 30 million software developers in the world right now, that's a lot of security effort we can do just in one hour chunks. Mm-hmm. So that's the stage we're at. So there's lots of tooling, there's lots of things you can do, but the most important thing you can do at all in software security right now is know what your software is built from and kind of start making the list of what things could we be doing better? You know, the gaps you know you have, we call this security debt, things that we never got around to doing, but we know we probably should. And just writing that list and taking it off is a really good pro, uh, step forward. Mm-hmm. In the in the wider sense, we're still seeing a lot of problems in the broader com- security community with things like ransomware and account attacks. Now, we say it a lot, and I know that it's really, really hard to choose good quality passwords for things because, you know, humans aren't designed to remember passwords. But even if you just pick those accounts in your world that are most precious to you, so normally your email, your bank, your password manager, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you choose a great password for those and turn on multi-factor authentication, so where it's going to send you a code or a password Mm -hmm. via either SMS or via an app, that can put you a long way ahead of the attackers. So Google estimates that 80% of attacks against our software, so things like our email accounts, can be stopped by having long passwords, so greater than 15 characters, and having two-factor authentication turned on. So if you can get rid of 80% with one change, I feel like that's really powerful. Wow, yes, that's great advice. So And simple advice, right? I mean, we can all do that. We should be able to all take the most important ones and make them strong passwords and then, you know, um, make sure that we are thinking about this and focusing on it. Exactly. I think we sometimes get a bit overwhelmed by security. It can feel like this big monster that we can't see or touch or smell that's coming to get us in some unknown way. And it can feel very, very confronting and technical. But the reality is security has been a problem for as long as it's been people. Um, As long as there's been people, people have wanted to get something from someone else and they've employed whatever technology was of the time, even if that was throwing rocks at each other to get whatever was of value. And so it's the little simple behaviors that we can each do every day that make us much Mm -hmm. stronger rather than waiting for some big solution that will fix it all. I think that's great. Now, how do you feel about password managers? Um, I like them. I mean, there's there's a risk to them. I'll come to that in a second. But mm-hmm. on a personal level, I use them and I use them for my company mm-hmm. because they get rid of 
you know, that habit we all have. I'm I'm a regular human like everyone else. Mm-hmm. If somebody asks me to choose a long, complex password, my brain has that kind of little moment where it goes, you what now? Uh, <laughs> I, it, just, it just freezes and goes, oh, hang on, I need this to be complex and it needs to be kind of random and it needs to have all these things. I'm quite a lazy person. I, you know, we're all busy. Um, and so the password manager allows me to choose these good long passwords mm-hmm. and make it unique per app without me having to think about it. And I'm a big fan of security where you don't have to remember about it. You don't have to think. It's just done for you. Um, so yeah. it, it's helpful. I mean, you know, we all feel nervous about them. You know, we are putting our passwords into one big basket and we mm-hmm. all know that there's risk in that. But, you know, I... I work with a lot of people and I, I looked at my own passwords. I have 800 passwords in my password manager, but I'm a security nerd. So we're a bit weird anyway. <laughs> um, but I can't even imagine trying to create 800 unique passwords. Yeah. I can't even remember, remember 10. So right. yeah, for me, it's a really great shortcut to getting the job done. And then what is your advice for using the same password over and over again? Because I know a lot of people do that. <laughs> Um, I think we all know what the advice is, but I'll, I'll repeat it. Um, we really shouldn't do it. Now, there's a few things that we do as people, as humans, that we know about habits that we should stop doing. So firstly, we use the same password. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we use the same password with a different number at the end. Don't do that either. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we will use the name of the tool or we'll use something that's about our personal identifier, that's our name or our date of birth as our password. Um, but the thing is that passwords now, there's over 3 billion passwords in the world that have been leaked. So that means that they've been put out onto the internet because somebody's application has been hacked and those passwords are now in the public domain. And that means when an attacker is trying to guess your password, they're not just trying to guess random numbers and letters anymore. The first thing they do is they try these lists of known passwords. And so the longer that you use a password for and the more accounts you use it for, the more likely it is that it's in that list. And so as somebody trying to guess your password and get into your account could just take a few minutes of effort. And that would be with a an automated script. They don't even have to do it themselves. Oh, wow. So, yes, there's going to be accounts in your life like, you know, the odd news site where it really doesn't matter. But for those key accounts, so just pick five the ones that it would cause you the most pain if they were attacked today. And make sure if just nothing else for those five accounts, you've got good quality passwords. I am actually going to do that. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm committed to do that. So thank you for that great, great advice. That's simple and just actionable so we can go and do it right away. Okay. Um, so as a woman in tech, um, tech is a male-dominated industry. We know that. But women need their voices heard. How? Give us some ideas how to make our voice stronger or how to strengthen our voice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I run a small company. There's 21 of us, um, and we're unusual for a security company. So this is something that we feel very strongly about. Mm-hmm. This, uh, 70% of our team are women, and that's wow. really unusual um, and something we've been quite conscious about. Now, when I first started out, I've been doing public speaking and and authoring and things for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. When I first started, I think I had that same nervousness that many of us do, that imposter syndrome of, oh, well, I don't look and sound like all of the other Mm -hmm. people in tech. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a very long time and a lot of effort trying to sound more like other people, Um, particularly guys, because that was what I was seeing all the time. But now maybe I'm just a bit older 
um, maybe I'm a little wiser. Well, let's not jump to conclusions. But for me, it's I, I've realized that the strength of being a woman in tech is that we sound and look different. That mm -hmm. we often speak with authenticity and from a place of vulnerability. And not that that makes us weak, but it makes the message we share resonate deeper and connect with a wider audience. We're also often able to see the problems around us as more than just technical acronyms and and you know the you know how do we do this specific problem but we can look at the causes in a lot more detail in a lot more natural way so what I would say is to those who are starting out finding their voice in technology if you will uh -huh. it doesn't matter which bit of tech and it doesn't matter how technical you think you are your voice is valid your voice just as it is right now is perfect uh -huh. and you know tell your story um, we all connect more with a story that comes from a place of truth and honesty. And, mm -hmm. you know, we share, we get as much from the lessons we share about what went wrong as what went right. So find, find your people, find those audiences and share. The more that we share those stories, the more natural and normal it will be for people like myself and for your audience to uh, be part of it. And so we actually then encourage the next generation behind us. So the more we do, even if it makes us feel a little bit nervous, the stronger the future will be for all women in tech. I think that's great advice to be authentic, to be vulnerable and to put your voice out there, because a lot of times women don't have the confidence and then they'd rather be quiet rather than to say something. And yeah. no matter what you're thinking, your voice is valid. You have to say what you're thinking, because it might change that whole, you know, dynamic. So, Absolutely. I mean, how many of us have waited till, oh, I'll wait till I've got my next qualification and mm -hmm. then I'm qualified or mm -hmm. I'll wait till I've achieved the next thing and then I'm ready. You're ready now. Yep. Uh, the journey you're on now is just as important as the journey that you complete later. So yes. share early and often. Great. Thank you for that great, great advice. I hope our listeners are listening and uh, will take that to heart because everything we have to say is valid. We have a voice. Uh, we should be included, whether it's a great idea or one that's going to start up a great idea. You know, sometimes exactly. just by saying different things that triggers other thoughts and that brings the other ideas out. So there's lots of reasons why we should speak up. Yeah. So that's absolutely. great. Great. So I know you're passionate about entrepreneurship. Tell us about your journey as an entrepreneur. Sure. Um I started my company eight years ago. Um, I, I'd just come back from having my first child. Um, mm -hmm. She was 10 months old and I was just coming back. I just, I had, you know, that serious job that you're supposed to have in, you know, a big name <laughs> payments company. I had, you know, all of the things that look great on your CV, mm -hmm. um, but I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I think maybe there was something about having my daughter that you know, my tolerance for a bad job just disappeared. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, look, I just cannot spend all of my day doing this. Mm -hmm. Now, I had about $300 in my bank account at that point, And I quit my job. And that is not sensible advice. Please don't take that and run with it. That's a terrible idea. But you know, we all make silly mistakes at some point. And I decided that the way we did application security there was some problems with it. It was very slow and it was kind of the equivalent of walking into an organization saying, hey, your baby is ugly and you should feel bad and hoping people would then change how they built software. And that's a terrible way to get people to change because you start from a place of negativity. Mm -hmm. So I started a small consultancy 
um, that grew to 11 people, um, specializing in helping very fast-paced companies all around the world do software security with a focus on growth and innovation. Um, now, that led to writing a couple of books and all those kind of nice things, and it was an incredible adventure. But I think it really ramped up in 2020 when COVID hit. In most consultancies, we dropped 94% of our revenue overnight. And so at the time, there were four of us in the team, all women, all with kids and pot plants and responsibilities. And we decided, well, we could wait for the COVID lockdowns to, to blow over and see how it goes and just go back to being consultants. Or we could do something bold. And so in the space of three months, we turned a consultancy business into a product company. So we're now a SaaS company. Mm. And now we do entirely uh, product-based education for software development teams all around the world. We're now in 31 countries. And wow. um, so we've been on this incredible journey. Um, and it's a journey I couldn't have done without my co-founders um, and without the wider team. And just that, that willingness to go, yes, we don't know everything about what we're about to do. And yes, this is scary, but wouldn't it be incredible if we tried this and it worked? Um, so, yeah, it's just been an, a really amazing adventure in having trust in a, an amazing group of people around me, being bold between us and, you know, being more prepared to take a chance than look back in five years and say, I wish we tried that. That is so great. I'm so proud of you. That is amazing. So innovation, and then know with the pandemic, a lot of companies saw growth due to innovation. And that's what you did. You sat down and said, what, what else can we do? What can we change to make this a better situation? And, you know, many companies did that, and they've seen a lot of success with that. So great job. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. been a lot of fun. I mean, it's incredibly hard some days and some days oh, I of kind course. of wish for that that standard like normal job again, but uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, 32 years for an, as an entrepreneur for me. So I know ups and downs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you, you can't go back. I think once you really nope. find your groove with being an entrepreneur, um, it, it would be very difficult to go and get a normal job again. Yeah, you can't. It's it's almost impossible. <laughs> Mindsets are very different, you know. Um, Absolutely. We're fundamentally unemployable, but in the good way. Yes, yes. So we both share a strong passion for growing companies. Tell us some strategies and best practices that maybe our listeners can use if they're in an entrepreneur situation. Yeah. I think for me, the strongest thing that I've done is embrace data um, as, a, as a way to really understand what's working or what's not. Um, growing a business, particularly in those early stages, can be quite a, an emotional journey. You know, you're very tightly tied to a single building and your own identity can be very closely intermingled with it. So much like, you know, they say that, you know, when you have a dog, you end up with a dog that's like you as a dog. Your company is like you as a company. Mm -hmm. It will take your good bits and it will take your bad bits. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. But for me, data and using data from the business, from all of our processes has helped me to understand which bits are working objectively. So as well as having that gut instinct you have as an entrepreneur, but being able to back that up with some data has been really, really useful. And, you know, using automation where it's sensible to do so to get rid of the boring bits has enabled our tiny team to do so much more than we would normally. So find the boring bits of your company or the bits that are really kind of repetitive and processy where you really need to make sure you get it right every time. And then automating that um, has been so key to doing a good job, 
but doing it at a scale that we don't need to hire another 50 people to contend with. I think those both are really key pieces in business. Um, when you talked about data, you know, when I first started many, many years ago, it was 1991. And, um, you know, a lot of the decisions I made was from my gut, you know, yeah. hiring people, <laughs> firing people, making decisions about growing the business, all of those things. And then a few years into that, I realized that data is king. It is so important, right? So we started looking at data and it was so powerful for us to make decisions on real information. You know, who are our customers? What industries do they come from? Um, Where is there any pockets in, in any states that were doing more business than others? Is there any industries like that? So we could capitalize on it. And it was so powerful. So I think, you know, managing with, with data is very, very important. And I love the automation piece because a lot of people get caught up in busy work and they don't think about they're not revenue generating them. And so I always tell my team, I'm like, okay, anything you touch needs to be revenue generating. So if you're just doing things just for the motion of doing it, it's not a great idea. And so many of my team have have learned that really well. And they're like, no, I'll leave this for later (laughs) or we'll find a way to automate it, right? (laughs) So that's the other side effect of that, you know, as a founder, one of the things we're terrible to do uh, doing when we're entrepreneurs is taking a break from our business, like taking some holiday, taking some leave and automation in the right places really enables that. It means Mm -hmm. that I know that those basics are going to happen while I'm away, that I can go and spend time with my girls and that the wheels aren't going to fall off. It might not be exactly the same as if I'm not as if I'm there, but uh, you know, it's it's a big weight off my mind. So it's kind of like creating a robot Laura. Yes, yes, I love that. I love that because automation does the same things over and over again, the same exact way, whereas people sometimes don't. And so you can lose a lot of that um, accuracy if you don't have automation. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really, really important. Well said, well said. All right, we're gonna take a little detour because this is a selfish, selfish question on my part because I'm always looking to add to my bucket list. So what is the most favorite place that you've traveled to and why? So I, I have a, a really biased answer on this one. So you will tell from my accent, I'm not originally from New Zealand, but I live in New Zealand now um, in a beautiful oh, okay. place in the very top of the North Island. Um, but I was born in England. I came to New Zealand and I was like, I'm going to stay here for six weeks and having a bit of an adventure. And that was 12 mm-hmm. years ago. Oh my I feel gosh. like I stumbled into the most beautiful place I can imagine. So oh, um, I have not been there. So it's going on my list. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like visiting a geography textbook. We have subtropical areas. We have places with glaciers and fjords and lakes. Um, we have the biggest uh, volcanic craters on Earth that have turned into some of the most beautiful lakes. So yeah, it is a truly lovely place to visit. Uh, So yeah, I'm a little biased, but yeah, you should totally come down to Middle Earth because we we love it down here. I would, yes. I will definitely add it to my list. New Zealand is on my list now. (laughs) So um, in closing, Laura, what advice would you give to a woman considering a career in the tech industry? I, I would say find what you're passionate about. Don't worry if it looks like anyone else's passion. It just has to be yours. And then follow that. And Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of changing your mind. So one of the most important things I try and keep in mind is the sunk cost fallacy. 
the idea that if just because you've spent, you know, a thousand dollars on something or 10 hours or whatever, it doesn't mean you need to add a little bit more just because you're certain it will work out. It may well be that it won't work out and adding more time or money won't help. So find your passion and do experimentation. So is there something here? Can I try this? Can this idea work? And if it works out, that's cool. Run with it. If it isn't working, be mindful of that sunk cost and go, okay, is it close to working or is it just let's try something new? And the more experimental you are in those early stages, the tighter the idea is going to get and the more likely you are to find one that can really scale and really make you happy as you pursue your entrepreneur career. That's great advice. Passion drives people. And it doesn't feel like work when you have passion for what you're doing. I have a lot of passion for what I do. And for 32 years, it has never felt like work. It was a joy to get up in the morning and go, go into work, you know. So uh, That's fantastic. Definitely, yeah, definitely have to have passion. And then you have to experiment and you have to fail in order for you to succeed. You know, there are no paths that somebody just went to full succession without having any steps in the middle that, you know, kind of challenge them. So I think that's really, really important. You know, we, we crawl before we walk, before we run, same idea. Absolutely. No, that's great, great advice. Laura, this was such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Uh, can you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. We're on a bit of a mission, and I would love to share this with your listeners. Sure. So yes. we are giving away free, no credit cards, no tricks, no gimmicks, free secure development education to any organization worldwide who would benefit from it. So you can come and take courses, do some qualifications and start securing whatever software you're building or using with no, no tricks. And that for me is, that's my reason for being. That's I wanna make huge. sure that we create this team of, of 30 million developers. Now that also includes basic security awareness training. So if you wanna train your wider team. Now you can find that online, like I said, no credit card needed at safestack.io. Um, and you can just sign up and get stuck in. And so I would also, also then welcome any stories. So if any of your listeners do sign up and, you know, they come and learn something, share your stories, share what you've learned, share what you're doing, because the more visible we are with security, the better. That's amazing. Uh, I will definitely encourage everyone to take these classes because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. And then share your stories back with others so that they can learn and grow as well. So this is great. Thank you so much, Laura. It was such a pleasure and an honor to have you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum 
on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.